This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi fans, to the Science Fictionary Podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm here tonight with Marisha. How's it going? And Rob from Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. I used to I used to have a podcast called that. I, I don't know where where. <laughs> <laughs> Did twenty twenty kill it along with the soul of America? <laughs> I am yeah yeah. It kind of ripped ripped the soul out, wriggling and uh, and dying off. But I'm hopeful that with some of the new Star Wars content that's coming back, maybe we can uh, do a little CPR and revive it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk a little Wheel of Time, or more accurately, Rob and Marisha are going to talk Wheel of Time while I learn a little about Wheel of Time and uh, let them try to convince me why I need to start reading and watching the Wheel of Time. But um, In my defense, I have been trying to get it, you to watch it with me since I got back. It's true. I'll it's, be like, hey, you want to watch Wheel of Time? And he's like, eh. Uh, we'll kick it off. And it's a possibility that Daniel may join us in progress here. But um, Marisha, I'll let you take over. Okay. So my experience with Wheel of Time is pretty limited. Um, my brother-in-law has been telling, for years, would talk about how great Wheel of Time was. In fact, the guy that I dated in high school was really obsessed with Wheel of Time. But the, what they would always say is like, it's really great up until about book three. And then it kind of peters off. So Daniel, and I quote, says, there's kind of a lull between book three and seven. And yes. I'm like, dude, that is like, that is quite the lull. So I've had a hard time convincing myself I want to start a series of books with a enormous <clears throat> lull three books in. But, you know, it's one that people always talk about, right? It's, it's such, it's so, such a iconic touchstone sort of work. So whenever they decided to make a TV show, typically I'm a read the book first person, but I've been stupid busy for the past couple of months. And so I decided to just jump in and start the TV show. So currently I don't really have any idea what's going on. Um, like it, it's, we were in episode three, right? So we're kind of starting to get a little bit of a sense of the world, but I definitely am getting the impression that the world is much bigger, right? The lore is much bigger, all of that, than anything we're seeing so far. So, as someone who is a longtime fan, what is your take on the show? Yeah, so my background with Wheel of Time, I actually uh, first was introduced to it. My mother, uh, actually my parents had gone to Chicago for a trip uh, when I was 18. And my mother came back and was like, I found this book at the bookstore. I think you might be interested in it. And it was the first book of the Wheel of Time. Okay. Uh, so I was a fan of it right from the get-go back in 1991. Uh, so I was, uh, you know, talk about impatience in this day and age right everyone wants to be able to get all the episodes right away everyone right. wants to be able to to know the full story right off the get-go and binge things um i was the guy who was having to wait two years between books uh mm -hmm. which led to me having to essentially reread 
uh, everything up to that point when the next book came out, right? Uh, just to make sure that I was caught up and kind of in the moment for what was what was to come. And I think uh, the estimate for the number of pages typically in these books was like eight hundred and twenty six pages. Okay, uh, so they were tomes. Yeah, uh, this was the Encyclopedia Britannica of, right. of sci-fi or uh, fantasy. Um, so you know. I, Especially having having read the books, uh, when you talk about having to boil down fourteen books uh, that are all eight hundred plus pages on average, right? Uh, you're talking a, a huge task to boil that down to something that is going to fit into a series on any network. Yeah, uh, and I think in a lot of in a lot of cases, they you know it was largely thought that this would never actually end up on uh, on the big screen or television because it was just too much. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I think we'll get into a little bit of the detail of of what my thoughts are on what we've seen in the first three episodes as we as we get into it. Um, but I'm a huge fan of Robert Jordan and the world that he created, and it is definitely, uh, you know, Tolkien on crack. <laughs> on crack. That's great. That's a good description. Uh, that's definitely a way to sell it for sure. That's a to to fantasy. A fantasy fan. That's a good. Right. That's a good pitch. Right. Um. So, I'm getting the. So, do the books start in the same place the series does, or or do the books start at a different point? Uh, more or less, you would get a little bit of a prelude in the books. Uh, you mm -hmm. get uh, a flashback to kind of the events that led to the death of the the Dragon Reborn. Uh, which is kind of the the key plot point throughout the books, and is going to be throughout the series. Which is uh, a character named Luz Theron Telamon, who was one of the most powerful male Aes Sedai, which is what these magic users are called in this series. Right. Uh, it used to be that it was men and women. So, um, and and kind of pulling that back a little bit, the overall arch of, of this series is is the Wheel of Time itself. Um, it's kind of the the key. Um, the key point of the entire series, which is that, you know, time is viewed as a wheel and there's seven ages that as the wheel turns, uh, you know, come and go. And by the time you get back to a certain age, everything that happened before that has generally been kind of forgotten. So, okay. uh, you know, reality kind of cycles through these seven phases. So when we get into the books, um, the age of legends, which is, is when these Aes Sedai were kind of at the pinnacle of their power, um, at the beginning of the Wheel of Time, the creator, a.k.a. God, the good guy, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, sealed the, the, the Dark One, uh, which is the devil figure, away right. uh, in a prison. And at the height of the Age of Legends, when these Aes Sedai were at their most powerful, they were able to uh, access a, a power source uh, by boring into this Dark One's prison and unwittingly kind of unleash him on, on the world. So... Uh, Luz Theron, who was the Dragon Reborn, uh, led a group of these male Aes Sedai to kind of seal him back in his prison and, and patch that hole. And as a counterstroke, the Dark One tainted the male half of this true source, which is the, the magical power that they draw on to, uh, to create their magic. So uh, all the male channelers went insane. They broke the world, kind of destroyed all of creation uh, and put everything back to the Dark Ages, essentially, and reset the Wheel of Time. And so now we're kind of working our way back through the ages. And at this point, you know, male channelers are feared. They're, they're prone to go insane. Uh, and only female channelers, Aes Sedai, are 
uh, able to, to touch the true source and, and not, um, you know, and, and to be in control of that and not go insane. Okay. So I did get, so I was reading all the little, if you are watching on Amazon, they actually, on the app, you can see they have lots of like little background, right? Um, information. Sure. So I did gather that the, the male channelers were, like basically, their their power was cut off or tainted or or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, affected adversely. Yes. We'll say, um, so. But that's interesting. So it was actually a it was actually retribution. Um, yes. I didn't. So we, we we I didn't get that. From, and they haven't addressed that really in the series yet. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, the opening intro, you kind of see the uh, kind of a loom, right? Weaving threads, uh, the weep and the, the warp. What is it? The weep and the warp? Warp? No, and warps. The, uh, weft. The warp and the weep. The warp and the weft. Yes. The warp is Star Trek, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so, uh, too. <laughs> right. And that's kind of how the male and female halves of the true source are, are looked at as threads in, the, in this pattern. Interesting. So, uh, you know, when they talk about channeling, which is, uh, you know, them basically pulling mm -hmm. uh, yarns of this of this power, fire, air, earth, um, uh, spirit, etc., uh, they weave those together, and, and that's what they call channeling. So they also will refer to that as weaving uh, weaving threads of the power in the in the books, and uh, that's kind of what you see Moiraine doing. Uh, the guy said I character that we see in the first three episodes uh, when she's kind of uh, creating her magic. Okay, awesome. So how much, just based on how much information they've given us so far, how far into the story do you think this first season is going to go? From what I have read, um, the first season is going to cover all of book one and uh, part way into book two. Wow. So, sounds, and, and that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, that sounds like, like quite the uh, ambitious project there. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of story to tell. Um, it's interesting because uh, there are certain characters that you would have been introduced to in the book that we have not met. Um, some characters that they have clearly decided to leave out altogether, uh, and you're going to have that. I mean, they certainly can't tell. Uh, right. You know, in eight hours, they can't tell uh, a story that's going to span over a thousand pages of any fantasy series. Um, it's kind of the ongoing joke in my head is that if you take out all of Robert Jordan, who was the author of the series, if you take out all his descriptions of the girls' dresses and, uh, you know, braiding the hair and all of the kind of ancillary world building and, and description that he puts into everything in the books, uh, you all of a sudden get it down to a probably a more manageable size. He's a very detail-oriented author. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot of things going on in the character's head that you'd have to, you know, you'd have to be in a first person type situation to uh, to be able to convey that and certainly in a series they're going to have to address that via other other means right which is kind of one of the things that we were talking about dune um kind of one of the issues that came up there's so much reference to what people are thinking and how people yes. are feeling like whenever you tell a story this way you lose you have to figure out other ways to convey all those things because your your literary device it just doesn't translate certainly yeah yeah and, and it's interesting kind of, uh, there there are some 
kind of allegory uh, moments in the series that I've seen so far. So, for instance, um, Sidene and Sidar, which are the two halves of the of the true source in the books, uh, Sidene is the male half and Sidar is the, the female half. When they talk about, uh, you know, for instance, Maureen talking to Egwene or Nynaeve uh, about how to go about channeling, uh, the female half is kind of viewed like a flower. You you picture, you clear everything out of your mind, and then you picture a flower opening up to the light, and the light suffuses you, and, and then you can basically surrender to the, the female half of the true power. The male half is, is much more violent. You have to seize a hold of it. Um, and Rand, uh, which is one of the characters that, you know, certainly is a major character in the show as well, um, is someone who was taught by his father to use the flame in the void, which is you take all of your emotion and your thoughts and you feed it into a flame until all that is left is this flame. And then you essentially uh, achieve this kind of oneness where you're ultra focused. Uh, and he uses that in the books for, for being excellent uh, at archery and kind of calming himself. But that is uh, one of the means that the male channelers would use to kind of uh, put themselves in a position where they could sense the male half of the source and then be able to seize that and, and work magic with that. Interesting. Yeah, I'm getting the impression, like, when, anytime someone pulls out a weapon with some kind of emblem on it, you're like, okay, I think there's probably a story <laughs> here. Uh, right. So I'm definitely getting getting the vibe that there's more to this, there's more to this bloodline than we've heard yet. You're talking about the Heron Mark blade, I assume. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and that was actually so. My wife has no background. She's very much like you. She hasn't read the books. Mm -hmm. uh, she's kind enough to watch this with me. Uh, again, this is you know a, the culmination of thirty years of waiting uh, and never expecting to see this on screen. Mm -hmm. um, and so when when uh, Tam Althor Rand's father pulls that sword out from underneath the bed and they focus on that Heron. Uh, kind of at the base of the of the blade, and she just kind of looked at me and I said, "That's the Heron Mark blade is the as the mark of a blade master uh, in this world. So you have to essentially be a master with that weapon to achieve that Heron Mark blade." Interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, be, be usually being the person who's in the know about all of the details. Um, you know, you, you learn to like, like, oh, like we, you know, like we zoom in on that. So clearly <laughs> this is going to be significant, right? Clearly we yep. there's a backstory. Even if we don't hear it, clearly there is a backstory to this. Um, so I also noticed when they were talking about, um, so about Rand being redheaded, is that going to be significant? Mm -hmm. Because uh, significant rather, because I noticed when they were talking about the the guy who was in the cage, or they pulled out out of the cage and buried, the he made yeah. a reference to yeah. um, the red hair, and you you, mm -hmm. you you usually see it from that part of the world. It's like, well, that scene again. That scene. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, this is kind of one of those places where it's really interesting to see how they've translated this to to the screen from the books. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly the series was started back in 1991. It was kind of before all of the current uh, things we have going on in our society with equity and, you know, uh, wokeness and, and trying to make sure that, you know, all races are, are handled um, and all backgrounds are kind of handled equally. So I see a lot of that in the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you look at uh, the two rivers, um, one of the 
kind of big departures from the books is that all of this ethnic diversity that we see in this tiny little kind of backwater hamlet is not really there in the books. Mm -hmm. Um, Rand is differentiated from the other people in the village because he has red hair. Right. As you pointed out, it's, it's, uh, you know, kind of pale skin, red hair. It it differentiates him from all the other people who are generally dark of hair, dark of eye. Um, Okay. But Jordan does a really good job in the books of kind of, um, he tells you uh, kind of what the differences are between people from this area of this huge world that he has created. You have the Athan Mir that are the, you know, the sea people um, that, you know, clearly from the, you know, kind of the Caribbean type climates who are darker skinned. You've got uh, Domani in the books who come from an area and they're described as coppery skinned. So one of the things that's, you know, it's, it's probably controversial to say, but um, going away from having this small town of the two rivers be generally kind of pale skinned, you know, white, uh, Caucasian, whatever you want to call it, um, a group of people who you would expect for kind of an isolated backwater town, uh, is that there's so much diversity in this world that he created that eventually that diversity finds its way into this, into this village. Mm -hmm. And that is described very clearly in the books as kind of like a, an explosion of culture and, and different, uh, you know, dress styles and uh, new skills that get brought in. So I wonder if that's going to kind of, you know, make that less of a big event uh, if mm. they choose to address that. But certainly the red hair um, is is a distinguishing feature for Rand. It definitely plays into his background and it is definitely kind of one of the calling cards of these Aiel uh, that have come out of the, the waste Um and have started to kind of show up in the the world in general uh, within this series. Okay. Um, yeah. So very perceptive. What's oh, like I it's said, it's very perceptive. Oh, I mean, you know, oh, thank you. They, they certainly put these things out there for people mm-hmm. to find, uh, and and if you're paying attention, you will pick up on them. But I think a lot of people, it's such a visually stunning series. It um, is it's beautiful. I believe they filmed it all in Czechoslovakia. Um, there's just these sweeping vistas and there's so much that you're trying to take in that mm-hmm. some of these detail items are easy to miss. Uh, so my props to you for picking <laughs> up on that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, like I said, yeah. usually being the, the person who's analyzing all the details, you learn to kind of catch like whenever, whenever they point any, anything they point out, they go out of their way to be like, Oh, this is significant. You're like, oh. so then you have to, you have to put all the pieces together. Right. Yeah. Um, have you watched Westworld? I have not watched Westworld. No. Oh my God. Yeah. Is it good? If you're, if you're good at paying attention to the, the quick focus type details. Yeah. It's amazing. It's one to see. I, uh, huh? I, I've initiated Charles Westcott from, um, from conversations mm-hmm. to it. And I'm doing a watch through with him Okay, as his head explodes from episode <laughs> to episode. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's very much like this in terms of just the detail and, mm-hmm. and how that's so important. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard lots of good things about it, but I haven't, yeah. haven't gotten around to what maybe, uh, maybe that can be next on our list. There's always <laughs> something. And while we're all just sitting here very patiently waiting for Lord of the Rings to finally yeah. uh, be more than just a conversation. Yeah. yeah. So overall, how do you feel? I mean, obviously we're only three episodes in, so right. it's it's a little early to start making judgments. But overall, how do you feel that the tone? Um, because I f- always feel like when when you're translating a story, 
Um, there is the tone of the story, and then there's the storyline. Um, and some sometimes movies or shows will do really a really good job with the tone, but they kind of play fast and loose with the details. Or sometimes they'll they'll really get the feel, uh, or sometimes they'll really like kind of zone in on details, but sort of miss the big picture. Right. Um, for how the world feels. So how, how do you feel it kind of ranks in both of those areas? Um, you know, it's, it's one of the big challenges for me because having, having read the book since they first came out. And as I pointed out earlier, you know, uh, there was such a long lag between each new book coming out that you would have to kind of go back and do a reread. Um, I actually, about a month before, uh, this season came out, I went back and, I didn't have digital copies of the book, so I went ahead and bought the digital copies, and it came with the audiobook narration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in the middle of book eight right now, <laughs> in like a month. So wow, you're I've really plowing through it pretty hardcore. Um, but I, I'm also aware of the fact that they have to adapt it for television. They're going to have to make changes, and they also have to make changes uh, because the first book of the Wheel of Time is a lot of world building. It's a lot of, you know, learning who these characters are, these characters learning who they are. Um, there's not a lot of hot and heavy action going on. There's a lot of traveling. A lot um, of introspection and things like that. Right, yes, yeah. and a ton of introspection. And right. so... That's only uh, so interesting. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, and I will tell you that, you know, with three episodes of Wheel of Time uh, out right now, they certainly put the the fight um, in Emmons Field and, and at Winter Night. Um, they made that a bigger part of the sh- uh, the show than they do of the books. It's kind of a, an aside in the books, mm-hmm. um, and you you deal with it on a much more um, personal level with Rand and, and his father. Uh, but they had to do that because they have to do something to grab people uh, from the first episode, and they have to have a way of. Uh, as I said before, you know, the way that these uh, Aes Sedai channel the power, they can see these weaves, but no one around them can. So they had to have like a visual means to uh, to kind of see how that was happening. And you see her pulling strands from the fire and, right. um, you know, they make a, make it very clear that she's able to, to do different things with the power. So, um, you know, I think that's been successful. I think uh, probably they put more time into trying to diversify the cast um, and address things in that manner than, than they needed to, uh, to tell the actual story itself. Um, but it was clearly important to them. So that's neither here nor there. The things that I, I thought that they changed that didn't really work for me was like Matt Cawthon, uh, who's one of the three main male characters. Mm-hmm. Um, his family is not really described much early on in the books. You, you learn more about them later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but him having an alcoholic mother and a philandering father have nothing to do with, with what's in the books. And, and kind of, yeah, they're just kind of a social aspect to it that, that didn't really add anything, in my opinion. It's just sort of to create um, drama. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely to create drama. And and uh, kind of the same way, you know, Perrin uh, having a wife in the in the series uh, and kind of what falls out um, on the, in that battle on Winter Night um, with he and his wife uh, is not something that that occurs in the books at all. He oh, actually really? is an he's an apprentice to uh, to Master Luhan uh, at this forge and, and is just kind of working there. He he doesn't have any kind of relationship. But going back to Matt, um, the thing that I think detracts from his character is that he's very much a trickster 
and you know he doesn't like to work and they do a good job of kind of portraying that in the show mm -hmm. but he's far more you know uh, mischievous and playful and he's a prankster uh which is why when they go to shadow logoth in the uh in the series and he takes an item from there and, and it starts to affect him and he kind of becomes a darker character um there's less contrast for that in the TV show. You don't really get to see the impact of taking that item uh, has on him. Mm -hmm. And in the books, it's much clearer because he goes from being a, you know, kind of a, not happy-go-lucky, but, you know, certainly a prankster yeah. uh, and kind of a mischievous character to one who's just much more dark. Yeah, and, yeah, he, he definitely hasn't shaped up so far to be a particularly likable character. Like, no. everybody around him seems to like him fine, but, it, you know, it's almost, like, more like they tolerate him because they've known him forever forever than yeah. because of, yeah. like, he, it's not like he really contributes anything to their social group except for, like, sponging off of them so far that we've yeah. really seen. No, and and there, there are reasons why they focus on him gambling a little bit in the series uh, that will kind of play out in time. Uh so I get why they did that, but but certainly he's more he's the guy that would get the group into trouble, right? He was the right. guy who was filching pies from from windows, and uh, you know I think in the in the books they had uh, one of the kids that he ran with had had caught a badger and they were going to release it in one of the girls, uh, you know one of the one of the houses to kind of mess with people. So you know he was clearly laid out to be more of a happy-go-lucky. He didn't like to work. He liked to you know, mm -hmm. just create problems. He was the one cutting open fireworks to see how they worked on the inside mm -hmm. uh, and generally just getting in trouble. Yeah, a little more like we get um, like uh, Mary and Pippin sort of in the, the oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings yeah. movies, you know, just sort of like a pain, yeah. um, but, but likable. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's too dark. He's too dark in the series yeah. uh, prior to him actually having a reason to be dark. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did, because I was getting the feeling with, with Perrin that they're, you know, obviously the, the direction they went with with the wife and, and the fallout and that battle and all of all of those things, I feel like that's going to be going to a really dark place. But if that's not an aspect from the books, I'm wondering, like, exactly what they're planning to do with that. Yeah, I I get why they didn't have him apprentice to a blacksmith. I mean, he he's kind of running his own forge in the in the uh, in the TV show, and the uh, the family that he apprentices with in the books is not like a huge part of anything that goes on downstream. So pulling them out uh, just kind of lightens the load in terms of characters that they have to develop. I didn't think that was a bad thing, and I know specifically why they had events play out with him and his wife the way they did, because that very much does um, inform the viewer on a certain aspect of his character that will become more apparent in time. Okay. Uh, so it's just a matter of, of having that played out. But that therein lies one of the problems of, of the series so far is that even with three episodes, you know, when I saw they were coming out with three episodes on day one, I thought, great, they can do some of the world building and then still have some action going on and there still hasn't been that much action going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I'm hoping that starts to pick up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, they focused on a few things that, that I don't think are as important. Uh, and yeah, they, they probably should have spent that time kind of amping up the excitement level so that people don't drop off before it starts to really get good. 
yeah, that's, and that's always, you know, I'm one of those people who, if I start it, I'm more than likely to f going to finish it yeah. just because I want to see how it ends. Right. Yeah. Um, but especially with a dropping an episode every week model, mm -hmm. you have every single episode has to hook people especially in this day and age like you you could make filler episodes of shows 20 years ago i mean geez we've been watching stargate sg1 and they've got a couple of episodes that are literally nothing but re you know like there's is it's a you know somebody's getting court-martialed so they have you know ep you know like pieces of previous episodes, yeah, just recap. one sure. recap episodes. Just well, yeah. you always you always get a recap episode on SG One at like <laughs> episode eighteen or nineteen, right before the final arc yeah. of the season. Yeah, you know, and like you could get away with doing that twenty years ago. You can't do that now. No, like you, well, especially when you have like eight or nine episodes. Exactly, on streaming series. When oh, you have series. something coming out, you know, it, it, there's nine episodes and. You have to sell every episode enough that people will tune in next week. Right. Because that's, you know, and Mandalorian did a great job with that. Um, mm -hmm. WandaVision did a great job with that. Some of the other, you know, but some of the other shows have been a little more hit and miss. You know, and Wheel of Time is one, they've sunk a lot of money into this. They need this show to perform. Yeah. Um, so definitely, I mean, Bezos has more money than God. So, right, <laughs> right. But, but you know, ten million, ten million an episode is no joke. That's no joke. It's, I mean, that's, and, and they've already started on season two. So have they? So there will at least yeah. be a season two. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, that's uh, that's good to know. I mean, I of course you never know with streaming services how things are actually doing until right. they get renewed or canceled, right? Right. But I do hope and. I always hope with any well-loved piece of literature that the show creates more readers, right? That's yeah. always what I hope. Um, you know, with the, with a Dune movie coming out, you know, I, I'm just, you know, hoping that this is going to create more people who, you know, more people into sci-fi, period. Um, because I feel like, that's, you know, sci-fi and fantasy are some of those areas where, you know, kind of the world at large still feels like it's a thing for nerds. And, you know, so, and there are people who will watch it who are still not nerdy enough to read it, right? So right, right. I always hope that these things do well enough that they create more people who are into the genre, into the series. So I don't know, three episodes in, like, I, I did enjoy them. But I don't know how many like new avid fans they're gonna get at this rate if it continues on the same trajectory. Yeah, it it creates a really tough situation because, and I and I feel for them to a certain extent because uh, anyone who has invested the time to go through and read all of the books mm -hmm. um, is is going to be a very avid fan. And it's going to be hard to please them with bringing that series, you know, to, to the screen. Yeah. Uh, and then new readers, uh, not new readers, but new uh, new viewers um, are going to want that kind of condensed. You know, they, you may get a, a, you know, a small percentage of people who are, you know, interested enough to say, what am I missing out on? Uh, kind of a la Harry Potter, you know, you get the people who read the books and you get so much more out of it than, than watching the films. But um 
it's it's going to be interesting to see how that played out. Um, my wife and I kind of have a policy when we start new shows that we're going to watch the first three episodes, guaranteed. No matter if episode one is god-awful, if the first two episodes are god-awful. Uh, and it was kind of uh, something that happened when we watched uh, Wayward Pines a few years ago. And the first two episodes were okay. And the third episode was okay. And we were getting to the end of the third episode and we were looking at each other going, we're done. And then in the last two minutes of that episode, something happened and we were like, wait, what? <laughs> and all right, I guess we're watching the rest of this. So, uh, and, and I'm kind of still waiting for that moment with, with wheel of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm willing to stick with it. Cause I just really, I want to give it a full season to absolutely see how it delivers on, you know, what I know is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's going to be, there's going to be people who are far less patient uh, especially if you're a new viewer, um, and, and you know, there's we know that there's a, an attention span issue <laughs> with the way things are delivered. I almost wish they would have put the whole thing out there, the first full, the first eight episodes out there, so that they could have at least got people locked in. And then if they wanted to go, you know, week by week and in later seasons, then at least they have people committed to it at that point. Yeah. It seems like streaming services, though, they really commit to. Whatever their pattern, their model, is. whatever yeah, their, their model, model is, it's like they are really unlikely to deviate from it. Yep. You know, like Netflix it's is going to drop them all at one time. Yep. And everybody else has got to be not Netflix. Right. Which I don't see what the virtue is, particularly in being not Netflix, because they're, yeah. I mean, they like created this whole. They did, but Netflix has took spent years establishing themselves. Don't forget, they didn't start off this way. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you know, started off Absolutely. shipping DVDs. DVDs. So, right. you know, they they built such a massive base that they were able to do that. And these other streaming services are still stuck in the situation of, you know, when Netflix launched their streaming service, everybody just shifted over to it that was already a member. Right. Yeah. And these other companies are having to go. Well, you know, we've got to get subscribers and hold subscribers. Right. And so I can certainly understand why they're going for the release model. Yeah. And as I've said before, as a podcaster, I prefer the uh, the slow release model so I don't have to binge the whole thing on the first night. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, uh, the, only, the only thing I would say to that is that Normally, I would agree, but it's Amazon Prime. I mean, everyone's getting this as kind of yeah. a side benefit of having an Amazon subscription, which we all have because it's apparently the only way to get anything anymore. Uh, you know, you look at the the Netflix DVD thing. I mean, I can't imagine anyone waiting two days to watch something anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, I, Amazon. Uh, I was shocked when they said they were coming out with three episodes right off the right off the jump, and then. Uh, they probably figured most people are going to be busy with Thanksgiving, and by the time they get back to it, there are going to be four or five episodes out there for them to watch if they're right. That's not one of the not one of the fanatics jumping on it the first day. Um, yeah, and look, if it's successful, if if word of mouth on it builds and and the series is really good, um, you know, you're going to get people who come and can watch the whole first season, uh, binge it if they want to, mm-hmm. uh, and then they'll just have to suffer through waiting for season two. Mm-hmm. We do like Cobra Kai, and all of a sudden, everyone discovers it two years after the fact. <laughs> yeah. That's that's me with basically every major thing. I think Westworld is one of the few things I watched 
the first. I, I had actually not started Game of Thrones until season three or four. Um, but then Westworld came out, and I, that's one of the few that I've watched right from the right from the jump. Okay, yeah. The thing about watching it's always feel like watching things right from the jump is a little bit like you were saying whenever a new book comes out, and you're like, wait a second. You got to go back and remember what all the the things right. were from the last season. I've been doing that, so I've been reading. Um, oh, Brian Sanderson. Um, shoot, it just. Oh yeah, yeah. The it's it's an appropriate. You you know that he wrote the last three books. Of the I did. Wheel of Time, yes. Right? Yeah. Um. Shoot, I can't remember the name of the um the stupid series, but the, I mean those books. They're like. The audiobooks are like 40 hours a piece, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but, but by the time the next one comes out, you're like, wait, wait a second. What happened in the last, you know, you've got to go back and read Rhythm of War again so you can remember what, you know, leads up to what's coming out next. So, yeah. It's oh, like, is it the Mistborn? No, Mistborn. I did read, I think I did read the Mistborn books, but this is the other one with the, oh. um, Shoot, now I'm going to have to find it because it's going to irritate me. Uh, Elantris? Nope. All right, let's see. All right. Um, the Way of Kings was the first one. What is this? Oh, Stormlight. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've been... Um, I guess okay, I, gotcha. I read the first two Stormlight books and then I've had to wait for the next two. And it's like, by the next time the next book comes out, you're like, I don't remember any of this stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. The, I mean, seriously, the problem with, with Wheel of Time is that I think I had seen, uh, it's a little over 4 million words. Wow. I mean, it's 14, 14 tomes. I, I never call them books because they're, they're an inch and a half, two inches thick mm -hmm. uh, for the hardcovers. And... I think they said there was something in the realm of 2,700 and something named characters. Jeez, I'm Pete. Yeah. So, um, the great thing about Wheel of Time, and the reason why I encourage people to read it if, if they're interested, is because unlike, uh, you know, a Tolkien or, uh, you know, a, a Game of Thrones, you have not just one kind of uh, protagonist through the series. Mm -hmm. um, certainly it all centers around the Dragon Reborn, but all of the five characters that you see leave the Two Rivers in the first series of, of even the TV show, mm -hmm. they all have their own fully fleshed out storylines. Uh, Perrin, Matt, uh, Egwene, and Nynaeve. Uh, Matt is actually probably the most popular character in the books uh, just because of the character that he kind of morphs into over time. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, it's it's not just following one storyline. So if, if you're uh, a reader that really likes a strong female character and you kind of want to see them develop into something amazing, that's in there for you. If you like the core storyline, that's in there for you. Um, but they all kind of develop in their own interesting ways. Um, and it's all been alluded to, certainly. there's There's been things even in the TV show um, that that they have alluded to that you're going to see kind of blossom into major facets of those characters mm -hmm. as we go on through season one and season two. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you said there are 14 books. 
Yeah, Currently. fourteen books. There's a uh, there's a prequel called New Spring that kind of um, describes kind of how Moraine and Lan come to to have that uh, Aes Sedai warder relationship, um, and then the fourteen books that make up kind of the core arc of the story. Okay, wow, that is that's a lot. Yeah. So I mean, even if they don't write any more books, they're still I mean, they, they could run 10 solid seasons of this mm-hmm. just with what they've currently got. Easily, easily. And it's all just, it all depends on, on the level of detail that they want to go into. I, I know that they're uh, wanting to get into it fairly quickly so that so that they can hook people. Um, you know, I, I heard what you said about Daniel and, and his opinion that kind of from books three through seven, not a lot happens. I, I would disagree with that. I, the great thing about it is each book in its own right has a, a climax to it, a crescendo, okay, some major event that that book is centered around. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what he's saying, though, because there are certainly books kind of in, in the middle of that story that they get stuck. Oh, here they we are. go. Oh. Daniel. I see a Daniel. You, you mentioned hey. his name and he showed up. I did. I saw oh, him. <laughs> I'm so, 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 so sorry. We'll never I, I've been covering for you, my man. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I know this was like my idea. And I'm like, I feel like it. I feel like an asshole. Don't. Anyway. He fell asleep. You fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> no. Go ahead, laugh at me. Yeah, that's okay. Like in your defense, I'm sure you've been up a lot longer than I have. So, no, I think this is interesting. I want to get Daniel's. I want to. I want Daniel when he listens to the full episode. I want to get his feedback on how I've done. Yeah, wrapping the series. Done fine. I really wanted to see Marisha's view on it without having any knowledge of the source material, and I missed it and then we were going to go from there and i'm sure that's probably what you did i'll give you i'll give you the quick recap so marisha um sees it thinks that there are a lot of details they're going to flesh out later but wishes that they would start fleshing something out okay that's where marisha pretty much stands right now and marisha also showed that she has got a keen eye for detail really Marisha was talking about uh, about the heron mark on the sword and uh, Rand's red hair and the red hair of the Aiel uh, in in unnamed village. Redhead in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it yeah, all it seems all... likely to be important. Yes. Yes. Um, but did you like the show? I'm enjoying it. I mean, like I watched the first two and a half episodes consecutively okay. but then i got too tired and so i finished the second <laughs> half today i i will say i actually think i would enjoy the show more if i didn't already have a knowledge of the material yep that seems fair. That's the only place there's gripes that's the only place there's gripes is knowing what they've left out or what they've changed mm-hmm. um and <laughs> So here's a question for you. I already know. I'm not a stickler for a lot of things. I understand how adaptations work. I have said, and actually I think most of you pay attention agree, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter are the two best book-to-film adaptations I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, so there are things that have to change to make a, a, a show flow. But, and I, I feel like such a dick because I should have been here an hour ago. Y'all, I am so sorry. <laughs> no, we can, no, we can feed this. We can feed this to you. I, I want to know. So to your point, and, and we had a little conversation about this, Marisha and I, how do you feel about how Matt, Matt Cawthon was portrayed in the two rivers? I, <laughs> is that, is that one of your biggest pet peeves? It's one of my gripes. Um, and <sighs> Matt just feels very, Stereotypical brooding boy with issues and his family's crap, and he has to take care of his. It, it's it, it's a little bit of a fantasy or even a drop a dramatic trope we get a lot with the way they portray Matt in this show. And it's too um, far from his character in the in the yeah, books. I was about to say it, yeah. he's he's very much a mischievous. Um, prankster, yeah. In the in in the in the books, and it, you get a little bit of it. Like I think they try, but they also try too hard to. And I will admit, in the books, the first three books, Matt's obnoxious and unlikable, and you really you just like, oh my god, won't they just get rid of Matt? Now we know as book readers, he ends up being probably the best that where our, where our core three characters are concerned he really ends up being the best one out of the three the most enjoyable yeah. to read um, but for the first three books you just want to wish you could rip him out of the book and not have to read about him. And, and, and it bears and it bears noting that uh, robert jordan that matt was the character that robert jordan kind of saw himself as <laughs> that's funny so uh, i I'm not, and it's not so much that I dislike the version of the character we got in the show, but I don't think he feels like the Matt you read in the books. Yeah. My point to Marisha was that the problem with how they're portraying him early in this season is that as the prankster, as the, as the um, you know, kind of the, the guy in the group that was the one getting him in trouble and was all about having a good time. He didn't want to work. He was the fun loving, you know, let's, 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 you know, pass on doing chores. We're going to go steal a pie and go out and, uh, you know, throw a girl in the river. Um, yeah. He's like Finn, as Andrew says. Right. Right. And so, uh, that serves to create a scenario where after they visit Shadow Logoth, where you actually see some changes in his character. And the problem in the show is that he's so dark at the beginning that when the additional darkness comes in, there's no contrast for it. He does. He Great. takes a knife or yeah. something, doesn't he? Yeah, Shadow Logoth dagger. Shadow Logoth, which you also don't get. We met Pot and Fame. Yeah. Uh, Marishi probably didn't even notice. <laughs> Was he the, the tinker or the the peddler? The peddler, yeah, the yeah. peddler. He's, yes, he's the merchant in the first episode. Okay, um, he's a dark friend. Okay, and uh, he follows. Spoiler the, alert! Yeah, follows <laughs> in the books. He follows the group to uh, Shirelogoth, 
and yeah. gets corrupted by the black entity also. Okay. Um, and trash is in, well, mm, that didn't, what I was supposed to say didn't even happen in the first book, so I'll yeah. keep my mouth shut. But it, it, it plays an important part. I mean, this whole fact that, that there's there's more to the dagger than he just found a dagger and it corrupted him. Well, um, yeah. And, and the wrong point, you can't even tell really so far that his personality is changing much. And by this point in the story, uh, he's it's, it's noticeable. His, his level of irritability goes up. He's... Um, He's just he's much more irritable at this point. As the story goes forward, it gets even worse. But it is it should be noticeable at this point. And the Ross point you can't even tell because his personality's already I mean, you hit the nail on the head. His personality's already so dark. Yeah. yeah. Don't even this. Um And I feel like people who are watching the series are kind of getting robbed of that. They, you know, yeah. kind of kind of experiencing that change along with the character which you get to do in the books. You're, they're being robbed of that, and they're not really able to fully appreciate that. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's a little bit of a misstep, I guess, to me on the, the part of the showrunners. And there's a change to the character the other direction also, that as you read through the second, the third, and then really in the fourth book, like I said, when the, when the, when the story starts, he's, he's almost completely unlikable. He's obnoxious. But you watch that character grow and mature, and he becomes a fan favorite character. And so, even for later seasons, it really is kind of like: Are we really going to get that? Do we get the enjoyment of watching him grow as a character? Mm -hmm. You've already begun his personality so different. Yeah, um, that makes sense. It also kills me that one of the core things about his character, like I mentioned earlier, is this whole desire to dodge work. And they do deal with that a little bit in episode three. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he tries to dodge everything about what's happening to, to all of the core characters, all the changes that are coming their way, and the responsibility that goes with that. And the great thing about Matt later on in the books is in the process of trying to dodge his responsibility, he kind of blunders into it. Yes. And then and then accepts it. Mm -hmm. uh, Correct. He which is what makes him so great. He accepts it grudgingly. Right. <laughs> Go ahead and admit. But but phenomenally, right? Like he's right? Really about it. He's not. Um, but he's but loyal he... to Rand. He's he's loyal to Rand to a fault. And he does what he needs to do because he knows. Um and again, I don't I don't want to give spoilers for the rest of the series, just because we know it's coming, so I'm trying to be. Yeah. Um, but some of the things, like moving away from Matt for a second, I turn this show on, and the first thing we get, the Red Aja are chasing two men through the woods. Correct. Right. Right. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know what's going on. I understand. The sisters of the Red Aja, the Aes Sedai, are all about taking the the one power and the ability to touch the true source away from men. They're gentling this guy. I get it. I know what's going on. And then she gets off the horse, and the one of the first words spoken in this show are that this power is only for women. When you touch it, you make it dirty. Yeah. At that point, 
I swear to God, I turned the TV off and I got up. <laughs> yeah. This is this is five minutes into a show I have waited on for years. Right. I'm like, why did they change that? Because that implies that, Im- and I don't know, we don't know if they are. We haven't actually had the magic system explained in detail in this show yet. But it implies that they're changing it from the way it is in the books. And then it, <sighs> Yeah, for what it's worth, I did explain the magic system to uh, to Marisha earlier in the episode. Yes. As we know it in the books. All right, so there are But I agree. Size from the one power, the male side, then the female yes. side, and only and the men can touch the male side, and the female and women can touch the female side. You you y'all all talked about it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So then you get a little farther in the story, or actually not even a little further before that. The opening monologue of the show is that we didn't know if the dragon would be reborn as a man, as a or, man a woman. or a woman. Yep. And I went, huh. But I let it go. Let's yeah. see what's going. I'm fine with that. And then they said that. And I'm like, why change that? Why? There's no reason to change that. And then the people who who are doing this show it almost feels like they're pounding their chest. Look what we did. Look, look, look what we did. Gender equality. Okay, so I'm going to say it because I can say it. If if, if a a male character would have told a woman in a TV show, how dare you touch our magic? When you touch it, you make it dirty. There would have been a riot. Yes. There would have been an ever-loving riot. Like Twitter would have lost its collective mind yep. if. But here's here's the whole thing. When 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 and, and you're right, they would have. But the, the whole thing is, they act like they righted some wrong and fixed a gender imbalance because now the dragon reborn could have been anybody. No, idiot. The whole point was <laughs> that it's dangerous for men to touch the magic. It's dangerous for men to touch the. <laughs> If there's any in gender, if there's any gender imbalance in this story for fourteen freaking novels, it's the other way. The women have all the power. That's that's one of the great things about the story. I would argue. I would argue eight. <laughs> well, eight. No, I, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I will. I will tell you this. Uh, I will tell you this, and and I brought it up uh, prior to you coming on, which was that. Um, and I, I suspect you're going to agree with this. I mean, there is no need to create an equity, especially on a gender level in this series, because while it may be a male that is in the books destined to become the Dragon Reborn, there are incredibly powerful female characters that have a huge impact on his story. And there's nothing there. I mean, Jordan was ahead of his time in terms of making sure that all of these characters uh, had these full flesh storylines, and there are many times where women are, the, as you said, the women are the ones with the power, uh, as opposed to the men. So there's no need to to right or wrong or to balance out something that was imbalanced initially, unless it's as you said, uh, all of a sudden we're going to create a situation where the males actually can come back and become magic users that aren't going to destroy the world. Right, and because the, the 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 whole thing to being the dragon reborn is not a good thing. It's not something any logical male character in the story ever wanted to be. When 
when we do have the Dragon Reborn revealed, I don't know if y'all talked about who it is yet. Nope. When we do have that character revealed, the way it plays out in the book, that character, they beg Moraine, do not tell my friends. Mm -hmm. Do not let anyone know. Like, I'm, I'm running away from this. My ass is going back to the two rivers. Don't tell my friends what's going on. You know, it's it's not something that's to be embraced by any sane individual. So you're not writing some big injustice by now a woman could be the dragon. You're not. They're already... They've already got all the power when the story starts anyway. You're not balancing a gender imbalance by doing that. I, I think the other thing that we should probably bring up that, that hasn't been discussed at this point is that there is a there's a character that has been revealed through the first three episodes uh, that has eyes of flame and a, and a mouth of flame, um, and it hasn't really been described who that is, but it, it should be pointed out that in the books... Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that we have the creator on, on the side of good and the dark one on the side of evil, and that there was this age where Aes Sedai were the most powerful beings around. Uh, there were 12 of them that had basically pledged their soul to the shadow, to the dark one, and they're called the Forsaken. Uh, so the Dragon Reborn is kind of the champion on the side of light, but you have the, the Forsaken, and it's a, it's a combination of men and women. Uh, on the side of the shadow, who have all the knowledge of that age of legends when I said I were the most powerful they could ever be. Uh, and we have one person who is kind of the hero of the light to to combat not only them, but the dark one in the uh, in the long run. So he's going to, uh, you know, the dragon is going to need champions to help him fight uh, the forces of evil kind of as they've been laid out. And you'll get to see kind of throughout this series and, and this season kind of as, uh, you know, how that how that being that we've seen in their dreams with the eyes of flame and the mouth of flame plays into that. We've actually already had a hint to their identity. Correct. And, but that's, that's also something I, I don't think they need to do if, because even the way our original story plays out, um, well, see, because in the books there's only three to Baron, and in the show there's four, whatever. Right. Right. But I would agree, they have dreams, they all have dreams, and that stuff gets explained slowly, even in the book. So I think it's okay that we haven't had any kind of big reveal about what's going on there with that. Sure. Um, because the, our, our characters have already been told, actually, that the Dark One is searching for them. Yep. That right. that's the reason the Prolets came to the rivers. So, so as a as a as a viewer of the show, you know that's pretty much what's going on on some level uh, with those dreams. So, I'm I'm actually okay with that. Um, I, I do have. How do I? Like I said, I would enjoy the show more if I didn't already have yeah knowledge. Those right. are really the only my nitpicks last is because I know how it plays out in the book. Yeah. I've seen better book to screen. I've seen better book to screen adaptations. My issue is that I don't even. I I don't mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, because I mean we we did get uh, Tom Marilyn joins the cast three episodes later, and he should have. Right. If we were playing it that close to the book, um, we've already passed the point where a. 
a couple of characters who play a role in the story later would show up. I think it's in kind of consequential to this season. Um, I am curious if we get loyal or not. Um, because we've already seen images and snippets of when they find the way gate. Yeah. And we know loyal is there when they find the way gate and Rob, you and I know why. Yeah. That's a character I'm going to love to see on screen, but I really don't think we're getting him. There are photos that he is supposed to show up. So again, there's one thing to have a photo, another thing for it to actually show up in the series. Uh, there are challenges to that. Um, yes. But they've done a good job with, I, I, I actually think that the special effects are, are pretty good. Oh, yeah. People, I've seen some people gripe about that. Yeah. Oh, but people always gripe about special effects. Yeah. God, when Moraine uses her powers, yeah. I eat the hell out. Look, I have a four-year-old daughter and uh, whatever y'all can at me if you want to viewers and listeners and <laughs> your horrible father and you're going to call child services or whatever my daughter was in the room while i was watching this show and she wasn't really paying attention to it and she was in and out when Bahrain used her powers she was jaw dropped she loved yeah. that she wanted to watch episode two i'm like mm, no I'm yeah. <laughs> later when you're not here it's been you know? pretty tame yeah it has it it is not look. It's not. It is not Game of Thrones. No, no, it's not. It's it, it, not at all. all. It is not at all. But the, the my point is, <laughs> the part of the show my four year old got hooked on yeah. is the part where everybody's getting killed and heads are being ripped off and there's right. blood everywhere. And I'm going, <laughs> I probably should have kept me in the room for this. Yeah, but, I, I talked about this earlier. Is that you know in the books. Only the only the magic wielders can see other magic wielders and, and what they're doing with weaving weaving the threads of the one power. And they had to have a way to translate that to the big screen. And I think they, the way they did it was awesome. It was awesome. And I loved watching her and Lan work yeah. together. Yep. I, I that is a that's a fist pumping moment that they mm -hmm. got that right. The warder's entire job is keep this woman safe while she does her thing. Yeah. And they portrayed that. Oh yeah. Beautiful. The way yeah, they they did a great job with that. It's awesome. Um, I, I, so some, some book changes I kind of liked. Yeah. Uh, the fact that Lan and Moraine, can take a bath together and there's no sexual tension at all. <laughs> no, I actually, I really no, like I get it. it. There's a, there's a bond between those two characters. Yeah. And it it it's it goes deeper than just friendship without crossing a certain line. Yeah. And it's portrayed in the books really well and I think they're doing a good job training at the show. Yeah. So the the fact that they can do that with there being nothing there is good. It's um, great that in New Spring dunking each other in water was such a big part of it too. <laughs> and then but the whole um I know that I think people are kind of split on the nature of Egwene and Rand's relationship at the beginning mm -hmm. of the show. Um, I sort of went back and forth on it. It actually flip flops the her her feelings about training to be a wisdom and then training to be an Aes Sedai because 
in the book, I keep saying in the book, in the book, um, the whole deal is she actually wishes Brand would make a move. Huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she agrees to train to be a wisdom and later to be an Aes Sedai because she's tired of sitting around waiting on Rand. Uh, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, that's not the whole reason, but I'm kind of on to something. That's a, sort of a, a, a theme in the, through the first book. Um, now, it's it's sort of flip-flop. Now she wants to do this so they can't move forward. In the book, she decides to do that in part because they because Ram won't move forward. That's uh, that's the difference between the 90s and now, though. You, you, if you have a character who decides to have a career, for lack of a better word, because the guy doesn't make a move, it's it's much more girl power that she rejects her, you know, one true love so that she can be Miss Woman. I mean, right. that's so, just that right there. That's totally just just culture where culture's at right now. That 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 is true, and so like I said, even that that's nitpicky anyway to even have an issue with what I just said. Yeah, the, her motivations having a. a an issue with her motivations being one way or the other is, is, is kind of nitpicky anyway. Um, and, and the more I thought about it too, I actually think I like a change like that because I think we're maturing the characters past where they are in the book. <clears throat> it works yeah. better because they are supposed to be, you know, 16, 18 and 20. You oh, know, okay. those, they kind I'm sorry. Of- they kind of told it like they were all the same age. And the they show. are. They kind of are. In the, it, no, in the show, they are. Right. In the show, they're all 20 years old. Okay. Um, in the books, they're, Egwene's a little younger because she's not one of the Taverns. Okay. Um, so, but still, I'm saying you can't, if you look at the, if you read the books, they're supposed to be a certain age where they probably should have been a little mature and they're portrayed in the first book anyway. Yeah. If you're going to put them on screen and look at this cast, they're all in their 20s. Yeah. Uh, the idea that they're, uh, <laughs> the idea that they are naive to sexuality and things like that d- isn't really going to work. No. Uh, so I actually think doing some things like that to sort of mature. The characters a little bit, I actually think, works. That's so. I overall I think that's something I'm happy about. Um, to your point about wishing that you hadn't read the books before you watched the show, this is one of those. This is one of those areas. Areas though, because this was something the first time I saw it, I was like, no, 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 no. And then I thought about it, and I was like, it took me a minute. In the books, it's like three books worth of introspection and angst because they were promised to each other and this, that, and the other thing. And in the show, they don't have that much time to deal with it. So they have to have it be a much more clear dividing line. We had a physical relationship. Now we're on our separate path. Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's So I actually think I like that better. But it took yeah. me a minute to process it. That Same. I ended up actually liking it. Same. So, I don't know. I'm just, I'm hoping that over the course of the rest of the season, we, and like you just said, them having time to deal with something. Uh, Marisha and I used to discuss this when Netflix had their Marvel shows. It, 
Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones. Those shows always ran 12 episodes and felt like they should have been about eight. Yep. This, this kind of feels the opposite. It's like, uh, you just you, you get frustrated. It's like, I know they're pushing this forward and they're skipping that or they're changing that so they can get it done in eight episodes. So uh, this this time you go, you've only given them eight episodes and it ought to be 12. Yeah. Like, that's kind of where I feel like I'm at. With Actually, I've read something from the, uh, the showrunner who basically was talking about the fact that some of these characters that normally we would have been introduced to or maybe uh, an upcoming episode should have been introduced to, uh, where we meet them and then we don't see them again for another book or two. Yeah. Uh, they can't address those characters because if they cast someone to play that role. That's true. And then they come back to them in a year or two, they may be working on something else. Yeah, that makes so sense. So I, I feel I, for them. Just logistically. They've, they've already recast Barney Harris anyway. Yeah, yeah. For season two. I like the actor. I just don't like the way they're having him play the character. Oh, is this what? Matt? Uh, Matt, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they made a cast change where the show's been dropped, and you're going. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um. So, but something like that, though, I I think most likely it was probably the actor's choice. Yeah. I think yeah. he was fired. I think he decided to. Do Go do something else. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. I don't know how much more I really have to say. But did y'all talk about anything else I need to drop in on, or what a mess here? I just tried to give Marisha a little bit of background on, and kind of like what we talked about uh, with with the magic system and uh, some of the details. You know, she she brought up the Heron Mark blade. I you know that's kind of a, a no spoiler type item that we can address here. Yeah. Uh, they clearly want to focus on that. You know, there's certainly a mystery as as to how Tam El Thor, this this guy who's farming in this backwater town, came by a sword that's a blade master sword. But they honestly, unless Unless we're going to get to Camelin in the next couple episodes, I think we might even just skip Camelin. Uh, I've seen images that tell me maybe no, but no, I know, and, and I have too. But you don't—they yeah. don't tell you where any of that stuff, right? Is yeah. um, unless someone, unless a character in the show brings up the Heron Mark when we get to Camelin, if we get to Camelin, I don't know that they're actually going to make a big deal out of the Heron Mark. I really don't. I think they will because they made such a point of focusing on it. And that's what Marisha picked up. And I was like, uh-huh. but you're, you're absolutely right. They may, that may be a detail. They just choose to poop. They might, I mean, as far as a plot point goes, they could kind of skim over it. We can get a conversation later from Tam about why Tam's got this awesome sword and knows how to use it. Yep. Right. Um, and just leave it at that. Uh, because at the same time, just letting us see the heron could very easily just be for us. I want to know. I want to know, though, Daniel, when Tam pulls out that sword and fights against the Trolloc, who I have to assume is is Narg, <laughs> right? So it's it's a great kind of like inside joke to, or not inside joke, but an inside reference to the people who read the books. But uh, you know that battle, the way he fought just 
scream Blade Master to me. It was it was Perry Perry slash Perry Perry slash. Mm-hmm. I know, but it it becomes it very early in the story. It becomes a big deal to Rand. Yeah, where did my father get this sword? Where did he learn to use it? Um, <clears throat> I almost dropped a spoiler. Um, I know. I you know. Wanna, the, uh... There's a very <laughs> special reason why Rand is attached to the sword because of the point that Tam gave it to him. Yeah, and it's. We haven't. That that's the kind of thing they could have already given us conversations and hints to if that was going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um. So. Or they're saving it for a a big reveal later. And Marisha's like, "What?" Well, <laughs> I mean, but I no, just assume whenever that you know, and it can go one of two ways when they sort of make a point. Uh, uh, you know about a prop right in, in a movie in a show it's you know that it's either just like an inside reference for fans or that it's something they're coming back to later so i mean well, I, I i assume that it's something they're going to come back to later but it's you know i guess only time will tell um how many of the things right. you know but generally since they're only dropping eight episodes i feel like pretty much anything that they've made a point to anything they've pointed out either just visually or actually had someone remark on i figure is going to come back later because i don't think there's time to just throw out a whole bunch of easter eggs no right so that's just kind of the same time though you would even make a couple of the big reveals that are associated with the sword because really there's more than one you would make those even sweeter if you had a little build up to them a little build you up, showed yeah. them haven't actually mentioned it since yeah yeah but that, it is are, you know it is the sword does kind of keep um you know like whenever whenever the girl corners him in the in the inn you know he tells matt he she's got my sword you know it's it's something yeah. that they kind of keep referencing back to so i, I expect that they're going to come back to it um because a, they didn't just have her take any weapon she took his sword specifically i think that they're trying to keep that at the forefront of our minds yeah i mean it's his connection to home and his father yeah. so right. there's an there's an importance uh, associated with it that's beyond what i think daniel and i are talking about but yeah um I'm very hopeful that you know they, they've they've shown the IEL. Um, they don't tell you why you should really care about them. Mm-hmm. I've seen video of things that I, I assume are flashbacks to the blood snow, and Daniel will know what that is. Uh, where we get to kind of see the IEL and why they're such such feared individuals. Why why one would be put in a cage and, and shot to death. Um, I'm super excited to see that if they if they put scenes like that in this show in the next few episodes, they're going to hook a lot of viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I asked Rob kind of early on in this conversation, Daniel. Whenever there's an adaption like this, there is the how did they do getting the details aspect, and there's how did they do capturing the tone. So as far as those <laughs> two 
those two aspects of an adaption. Now, we're only three episodes in, but so far, how would you say this show ranks on on those two aspects of storytelling? On capturing the tone and what else? And just generally the storyline and details, you know, kind of. How well is it following the story and how well is it capturing the feel of the world? I think they capture the feel of the world pretty well. Um, if we're ranking it, what kind of scale are we ranking it on here? Uh, uh, <laughs> one to ten. One, one to ten, ten. I said I. Huh. <laughs> uh, I think as far as the feel of the world and what's going on and the sort of feel you get of the book, it's it might get an eight for that. Okay. Um, as far as capturing the story. Well, it depends on how much detail you want. Uh, as far as the general plot goes, we're telling the story. We yeah. are. We're telling the story. Um, but we've had to change some of it out of necessity. Right. And but mm -hmm. like I said, there's a couple of things I get the impression they feel like changing that I'm just like, there's no point in changing that. Why did mm -hmm. they do that? So... I don't really know how to rank that one. I think I need to see the whole season first. That's fair. Um, but as far as the aesthetics of the story and just Beautiful. sort of the feel of the world, I think they do a pretty good job. Um, I don't know. That, have y'all discussed before I came on the, nat the, the nature of the idea of time being a wheel? Yes. Have we talked yes. about that at all? Yes. Okay. So you do know this is our future but in a weird sort of way maybe it's our past yes okay yeah. let's talk about that all right so I, I i don't know how many and, and and honestly other than just to sort of set some of the themes for the show it doesn't play a big point in the plot anyway um or at least i never felt like it did uh, there may be people listening who disagree with me and are you know um, but how well do y'all think people will pick up on it sort of being set in our future? Oh, I wouldn't have gotten are, that just they, from watching it. Kind of clues to that. Not really. I, I think it's, I think it's going to take anyone who hasn't read the books a while to, to pick up on that. I think they have to, I think they really have addressed the whole concept of a wheel of time very tangentially in the, yeah. in the series so far. I think you know, they really need the, to... We get the first sentence, right? We get the first yeah. sentence at the end of the first episode, which I love, by the way. Yes. And and the and the way Rosamund Pike delivers is, it. I don't know why that, sound, what, that, that sounds like such a dorky thing to say, but I love the way she like reads that sentence. Yeah. Because it, 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 it does sort of set the whole thing. Oh, just even, just to let them know, yeah, just to let anyone. By the time the age that spawned it come again, right? Yeah. So that's that's where we're at in the story. You get references in the books. One of my favorite one is Merc and Russ, two giants who battle each other with flaming swords. It's America and Russia fighting each other with nuclear weapons. It, it, and you get you get shit like that all through the books. Um, and I'm curious to see as the show goes on how much of that we get dropped in the show. Interesting, yeah. Um, 
To Daniel's point, it bears noting that chapter one of every one of those 14 books starts with some variation of, of that line that Rosamund Pike reads or, or recites at the end of the first episode. Which is? The, the wheel of time uh, turns, ages come and pass, you know. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, they talk about that. The myth and even myth fades from memory by the time the age that's bonded comes again. Yeah, and then they talk about a wind rising someplace, and it travels across the the landscape of the wheel of uh, of the the world that has been created until it eventually manifests itself in some specific location uh, that affects one of the characters, and that's kind of how that first chapter starts. So that was definitely to Daniel's point. You know, if you've read the books, I've got goosebumps just talking about it right now. Uh, that that was meant to evoke uh, something within people who have read the book and are now watching the series. And, and to, the, to that point, the showrunner is someone who is uh, a fan of the book since the very beginning. Now they, they've made adaptations based on what, they're, uh, you know, what they consider to be important. Um, but I would say, you know, Moraine, Lan, uh, absolutely uh, Joshua Stradowski as Randall Thor, uh, there are certain characters that have absolutely resonated with those those roles. And, uh, you know, Daniel Henney, who's playing Lan Mandragoran, uh, not how I pictured Lan Mandragoran in the books. Perfect. But it works. Yep. But it works. Everything perfectly. Zoe Robbins is Nynaeve Althor. Not how I pictured her in the books, but she encompasses what I expect to feel from Nynaeve. Nynaeve is a... I'm not taking any crap from anyone. I'm a young girl. I'm running the women's circle. I make people who are five times my age cower in fear when I come at them. Uh, and she rocks that vibe. Yeah, she yep. definitely definitely has that going on. You so know, overall, like, how did you how did you track me? That's right. absolutely uh, an homage to the books. Uh-huh. That's that's actually, that's almost word for word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Land spends half the first book just pissed off that this girl found him. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell did you do that? That's um, funny. And they, they have work to do to explain the warder Sedai bond, right? Mm-hmm. They they they've talked about the fact that you know there's a they can feel what what the other person feels, but they haven't really talked about some of the benefits they each derive from mm-hmm. that bond. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they even go into that detail. Yeah, I'm, I was wondering that too, and I actually was going to bring that up just now. That the the whole thing with Lan and Nynaeve's dynamic going on there. Um, I am curious to see where they go with that plot point in the shows because they don't have to do it the same way they did it in the books. Nope. Um, but him being miffed that she was able to track them um, really starts to build a relationship between the two of them that'll be interesting to see how mm-hmm. that plays out in the show. Um, but no, the, I've also really liked the cast, uh, and you mentioned Rand, you mentioned the, the, the two to me um, are Rosamund Pike as yeah. Lorraine. She is just spot on perfect. Yeah, She is regal and in charge and confident she's she's moraine to me yeah. and but then the other one is also parent which i have some issues with the parent thing but as too. Well, after portraying the character yeah. he he just 
he absolutely feels parent to me. Yeah, not um, who I pictured. Not but he works. Not, absolutely either. works. I, I also though don't have. I don't care what ethnicity this cast is. No, I really don't. Um, I've never been that way about characters. Just capture the essence of the character, and and go from there. Just hire the right actors, which I think for the most part they've done very well. Um, I will say that the only thing that sort of bothered me about Perrin, the minute they introduced Perrin's wife, I remember, well, she's going to last about 10 more minutes, (laughs) right? Like we, we knew where that was going. Um, and they literally created that character just to give you motivation for Perrin. Yep. And I'm, I'm not, I'm really not sure you needed it. You really didn't. It, you know, they, they had to give all these characters, they had to give him and Matt both something to brood about. That's yeah. a little bit irksome to me. Um, you do, people will notice neither one of us mentioned Barney Harris as Matt because we already talked about the fact we don't think Matt's portrayed properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's the actor's fault or the scripts. Um, but the Parent already being married and accidentally killing his wife. That's dark stuff. It did not need to be there. It didn't need, and it did not even need to be in there. For a show that sometimes acts like they want to be progressive and update the story for, um, for the new, for the decade ran or whatever. Yeah, that's a very maligned trope to pull out if you're trying to be woke. Why? Create a character just so you could fridge her the first episode in. I, I will tell you about when we say fridging a character, it's done to give male characters motivation. You give them a woman to have an attachment to, then you kill her. That's there was an fridging. article that called them out specifically for yeah. that. But I will tell you, there was an interview with the showrunner where he was talking about the deter- desire to do that. And, and I talked to Marisha earlier in this episode about how, you know, the Luhans who Perrin would have normally been apprenticed to aren't like huge players in the books anyway. So getting rid of them, I get it. Uh, but the fact that he had a wife and his wife was named Layla in the books, he makes a comment at one point that had he stayed in the two, two rivers, he would have eventually probably married Layla Dern. So, they brought her in to be the Layla that he would have married had he stayed in the Two Rivers, which, again, I'm right there with you. It wasn't needed. No, it wasn't. It wasn't needed at all. Just like the whole backstory with, you know, Matt. Matt's father gets referenced numerous times in the books, and he always has a very positive mindset about his father. His father was a, a big influence in a good way on him in the books. And they've kind of scuttled that with the way they portrayed him already in the show a little bit, which is just to give him something to brood about. Yeah. We got to brood more, more brooding. Everyone. Yes. Very brooding. brooding. (laughs) Everybody's got to be Kylo Ren. (laughs) Right. Right. That's mine and Rob's point is Matt's not a broody character. Any freaking way. Yeah. It, It was, it's stupid. I don't understand. Like I said, maybe they're nitpicky things, but my issues are some of the things they changed from the books that didn't need to be changed. Right. There was no point to that. There's no point to the Layla storyline. 
There's no point to Matt's father being an asshole. There's no point to, uh, at least it seems like they're changing the nature of the magic system. And I've been told they're not. Someone yeah. said that, that there are going to be some other shows that are going to focus on these things and that we're not changing the nature of the magic system. It's still binary. Yeah, it was described in like the... This the Red Aja... Well, I'll let the Red Sister even make the statement she made beginning the show, which, by the way, made me turn the TV off for a few was, minutes. I mean, I assume that she was some kind of, like, fringe element, just kind of from getting all the way through the episode. She kind of reads, and her. And I'm not going to lie, that actress tends to get cast as fringe element characters. Um, But I did, they did have some like background information on Amazon that sort of indicates that the, the system is still binary, but that men have been cut out because of things that have happened in the past. So well, that we, part of, but that's not the way they, that's not what they've let you think so far. Well, it, it, but I assume that's what the direction they're going. But they have so far, they have let you think, and they even had a red sister make the statement she made. The one I keep going back to, that makes you think men could use the power if they wanted to. These women just don't want him to have it. Yeah. That's the way he's being portrayed for. No, that's not it. And and the reason being the dragon reborn is a bad thing, and the reason the dragon himself is feared is because it's dangerous for men to touch the one power, and we know the dragon's going to be a man. Right. That's all that all plays into the plot that we are now doing differently in this show right you know that so, you, are you going to watch and see how it plays out for the rest of the season that is the grand question in spite in spite of the things you don't love are we still are we going to keep tuning back in every week to see how they end it yes yes how about you rob i will keep watching uh so long as it's about telling the story instead of uh, subverting the story to tell a political narrative. Let's put it that way. Before, let's, let's not just skim over that. <laughs> because I will admit that so far I haven't really gotten that feeling. Um, maybe you have. I haven't. I, I know that like there's not, even when the barkeep makes the comment about Brandon Matt but I will tell you that you don't get that from those characters no um, that is you can be as loud as you want a line of it's a line of dialogue thrown into the show to fit what's happening there with her trying to seduce Rand and she's trying to strike up conversation she's being flirtatious and she's like that to me that plays that way and I'm okay with it um I don't feel like we've really gotten. I don't feel like that's what they're doing. Like I'm okay with the 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 way the story's being told from that aspect. I don't like. I said the only thing to me is they do kind of act like they corrected this gender equality that inequality that never existed in the first place. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, hopefully, as far as I'm not really getting them from the show anyway. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, I always just in general hope 
in entertainment that, and, and this goes for stances that I'm a fan of. I don't like to be preached at. Um, so in general, I want, I, I don't like to be preached at if, even if I agree with the sermon, uh, when I'm, when I'm watching, when I'm watching a movie, when I'm going after entertainment. Um, so yeah, that's, that's always kind of my, my preference, but I'm optimistic that they're going to kind of continue to prioritize the story over, you know, any kind of, um, political or social statements because, Ultimately, you know, what are political or social statements worth in a story if if the story is lacking, right? So Amen to that. Hopefully, I mean, it's, it's always about story. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, hopefully they've got enough appreciation for the the story that they can even if they've got their statements they want to make, they can tell it within the context of the story in a way that works. Um, but we are almost two hours in, so let's go ahead and. Uh, Wrap this, wrap this thing up. Does anyone have any concluding remarks about the Wheel of Time, the first three episodes of the Wheel of Time, in, you know, like two sentences or less? <laughs> um, I will say anybody who's watched this show and enjoyed it, go read the books. Like, I hope that that's what it, I hope that's what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is there. And and I, I think a fan of this show would enjoy the books very much. Probably more than a fan of the book is going to end up enjoying the show. But I do I do like the show, and I am going to keep watching it. I do think we're doing a good job telling the story. Or, you know, that, and I do think some of these changes we kind of nitpick are, are necessary. Some of them are not, but you're going to get that in every adaptation. Yep. All right, Rob, what's your, what's your summary? Yeah, I would just say that this is, without a doubt for me, literary, uh, just a literary masterpiece in terms of world building. And if the show doesn't work for you, give the books a try. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll we'll continue to, uh, maybe we'll get you back at the end, Rob, and see see <laughs> if you think, you know, because I always feel like it's a little hard to make a judgment on anything so early in the game. So hopefully yeah. by the time we get to the end, we can, and by that time, maybe I'll have made it through the first book. I'm pretty sure that I've got them on audiobooks, so I might have to actually give them a listen no. there. No, wait, Marisha, read the book in print. I Daniel, have I don't have time to read the book in print. I know that, Marisha, and I don't either, and I'm doing <laughs> read on Audible. I am. I'm on, I'm on the great hunt right now on Audible, but I do not like the way the guy reads the book. He's a he's not a good storyteller. You need to read it in print. He puts the wrong inflection on the wrong words. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> it gets better. It gets better, Marisha. Gets I'm better. eight books in on audio, so Okay. <laughs> um all right. Well, let's see. So Rob, why don't you tell us where people can find you in Internet World or in unless like me you have just you know, become a total recluse and hide from internet world. <laughs> I, I literally am just on Twitter at JTA podcast. Um, and I hope to someday get back to podcasting, but uh, life has taken over for the time being. So uh, I'm, I'm here. If you want to reach out with your thoughts on wheel of time or star Wars and, uh, or Westworld. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, for sure. And if, and if you don't, <laughs> I, get your I've podcast, been binging Westworld. So yeah. And if you don't get your podcast going by the time book of Boba comes out, you'll have to come talk about it with us. I would be happy to. All right, Daniel, where can people find you in internet world? 
Um, I'm like Rob. I'm only on Twitter at Dan C. Thieves. <laughs> I'm not very active. That's where you can find me. Excellent. And I am uh, Marisha, and you can find me on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore Padawans, and I'm P. Padawans on Twitter. And I'm going to hand it over to my wonderful husband, and he's going to tell you all the other places you can find the stuff. Love, where can and we Andrew find the stuff? Andrew has been a trooper, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to check out our podcast as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at redfivenetwork.com. And until next time, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. 